Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. My name is the Renegade Statman, and welcome to this very special show. I'm joined, as usual, by my resident guest, KD, and the man at the bottom of our screen that needs um, no introduction at all. Welcome, James Norwood. How you doing? You okay? I'm just trying to work out, what, what's that picture behind you there? Oh, that's, uh, that's happier days. It's when I was a goal scorer and not injured. <laughs> that was, uh, that's the career so far, I think. I can't so, believe you've got him as a guest and you've got your big fat head covering his famous picture. That should have been in the middle. Hang he's on, so put my chair down a little. So far up Jim's, yeah. He will never move Jim, not even for James Norwood. Oh, one of one, that as well. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll stay over this side. Um, when, you, when you joined the club back in June 2019, you came as the, the League Two player of the season. I think a lot of fans were really excited. And I think they became even more excited when they spotted your personalised plate down at the at the ground. I think that was the first time that social media and James Norwood came together. Um, Three-year contract contract with the club, having an option on the fourth. You know, what, what did it feel like when when you when you pulled your, your car into the Portman Road car park for the first time? Yeah, obviously I was really excited. Um, massive stadium, massive fan base. And I'd spoken to Paul Lambert in a hotel away at Preston, I think near the end of the championship season. And he really sold the fact there was an international number 10, two flying wingers. All he missed was sort of somebody to stand in the six-yard box and tap it in. And, you know, I had championship offers and I thought there's no better way. I've just got promoted two years in a row. Ipswich should win the league comfortably. I should have lots of chances the way he's talking. Um, so my mentality was obviously score 30, get promoted, playing a champ. Um, obviously didn't pan out that way, but the initial excitement of it all and going into the training grounds, I mean, even three years later, I never wanted to leave the training ground, all the facilities and the people, and um, it was just a great place to be. But 
you know, things changed and I moved on. Uh, you hint, well, I've, I've put down, you, you mentioned it now. Who, who were the championship clubs that were, were interested in you? I think at the time you said there were three or four. And I'm just yeah. wondering why, why you picked Ipswich ahead, ahead of those. I did have them in my notes from years ago. I think I deleted them when I realised I was crap at football. Um, Luton, Millwall, Huddersfield, um, and Hull. I think Hull, Hull were going down, but at the time they were interested, yeah. And, did you and speak what, to these clubs? What's that? Did you speak to these clubs? Did they pitch to you like Paul Lambert pitched to you? Uh, Hull, well, yeah, Hull I got mildly in with uh, Huddersfield. I think the Cowleys may have been there at the time. Uh, Millwall got a fat no from my agent because he'd pitched me to them in the January and they weren't interested at all. And then they came back to him three and a half months later and they're like, yeah. And he just went, no, you missed it. Mm -hmm. um, Luton, yeah. Luton, I think, offered wages. Um, but I think they were struggling. Huddersfield nearly went down. Hull had gone down. And then Millwall got the no. And I just thought, I want to win a league. I don't want to be fighting for uh, staying up. Um, I want to be successful, obviously. And, you know, for me, staying up wasn't a successful story. Um, but I think, had I thought longevity, I might have been able to have a year in the champ and, and kicked on again, but I didn't think I went for the security over, over sort of that. So one thing you, because I've got to know you quite a bit, is that last season in particular, and maybe when uh, Lambert went and Cookie, you were saying there weren't enough men in the change room. Yeah. Obviously, when you came in, we still had Chamber, Chambo, Scusi. Were they real men? Were they real characters? Were they real leaders? Could you sense yeah. that? I think their hands are tied a little bit because of, remember when I joined, I was 28 and I was the fifth oldest player. Um, so Chambo almost, I, I had a private chat with Chambo when I first came and say, listen, you might be having a good game, but half time I'm going to come for you um, because I want these lads to see everyone can get it. You know, we're all on a level playing field. Listen, the respect for, for you is completely there. I really like you, but you have a go at me, I have a go at you. So when we're coming for these younger lads, don't feel like it's bullying. That If you're not performing, you will be dug out. Because I think I'd obviously, obviously come from lower leagues, but I've been in changing rooms where it's ruthless. And we were successful off that ruthlessness. We, we had a lad at training once that we told the manager can't train with us because he's not good enough and he's going to cost us the league. And so that was the mentality I was in of going, this is how it is. This is how it takes to be successful. And we need to drag these kids along because at Lambo, you know what I mean? Our average age other than me, the Chamber Scusi, is, is tough. And Chamber had to play devil's advocate. You know, he had to sort of be, be the shoulder to lean on uh, for the young kids. So I don't think when things were going right, he was in a position to be able to tear lads apart because more, I, I think they would have gone under. Uh question I want to ask you very early on is, you know, certainly at the, the start of, of your career, probably until December that year that you were playing up front with, with Caden Jackson and just wondered how that 
relationship was with with the two of you on the on the pitch and off the pitch? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty instant. I think um, it was a different role for me because obviously when I first met Lambo, I was playing up front by myself, running in behind, and that's how he pitched it to me. And then I think I scored with my first shot in Germany, and we played Colchester, and I scored with my next three shots. But Jacko, I think, set a couple of those up. Are you trying to say that's a hat-trick or something there? Well, against Colchester, I scored a hat-trick against Colchester. Okay, okay, okay. My next three shots. Just well, like... my, my first four shots for Ipswich all went in. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and me and Jacko are sort of, I think we were planning on playing a 4-2-3-1 because that's how it was pitched to me. And then me and Jacko sort of formed a relationship that 4-4-2... And then we became all at attack. And at first, Lambo was happy to leave one-on-one -on -one at the back or 2v2 at the back because I think we had the fear factor. Um, my role was slightly different within that team as I was more back to goal and getting up for headers and, and things like that. I was more of a target man, which I can do, but it wasn't primarily my game. Um, but we hit it off, do you know what I mean? I scored, he scored. I think Lambo was giving me 60 and him 60 and I'd get 90. Also, I just think with teams like that, the rotation policy with forwards, you can't, I don't think you can afford to rotate forwards. Um, I think they just play 90 every game until they turn around and say, listen, I need a break. Or when you're scoring goals, you're just in that consistent sort of form of every time I score, I'm gonna, every time I shoot, I'm going to score. And it was quite difficult because you'd go and get like a bolt and then get dragged after 70 minutes and you go, well, I'm on two goals. I want three. Um, and then you're playing with different wingers each week. But we were winning. We were quite direct. We were all out of attack. And I think we scared people. Um, so it was obviously a formula that worked. It's just, I think, a shame that I tore my groin against Shrewsbury at home. I think we could have, we could have kicked on. Well, how is League One different to League Two? Um, and, uh, you know, what, what did it feel in your in your third league game to to get a goal? Obviously, Luke Garber had scored in the, in the first two games. Um, I don't think it's too dissimilar to League Two in, as a striker. Uh, the only thing really is the athleticism and people try and play a little bit more. You know, the centre-half's a little bit more athletic, a little bit stronger. Um, the way I play or used to play is behind them. Um, so that thing was never really an issue for me in terms of if I could get in behind the centre half and I time my movement right, there's not, I can't be caught. Um, so that was it for me really, is trying to find balls in behind. And I don't think they're as robust in League One. I think, I, you know, in League Two, it tends to be more, more fight, more nitty gritty um, playing wise, but a little bit less quality on the ball. And then League One defenders, I think you can rough them up a, a little bit easier. Um, I don't think they like the contact. I think they want, want to keep the distance and jockey and track runs and things like that. So for me, obviously, I'm quite an aggressive player. I like contact. And then I want players to think I'm going to give them contact and run in behind. Um, it's obviously a constant cat and mouse game. Um, first goal was, was all right. I, I remember just shoving the defender into the goalie and the ref didn't see it. Deeper ended up dropping it, um, just turned and swiveled and hit it in and then give it Billy Big Bollocks in front of the crowd and missed a pen. 
So yeah. I remember ways, but I remember Chain by scoring last minute to bail me out. You, you must have read my notes because that, that 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 was definitely the, the the question that was coming coming. Um, your first home goal uh, against Wimbledon. Yeah, I think mo- most fans would probably put that game as one of their their favourite games of, of that season. You scored in the eighty first, and um, what what was it like when when Caden Jackson got a very very late winner? Yeah, it was brilliant. I think Ipswich was the first time in my career where really I didn't care who scored. Um, obviously beforehand I've always wanted to score and if other people score yeah I'll go and celebrate but every goal we scored I felt meant something because we were pushing for championship promotion um, so when Jacko scored obviously I think that's the, well, that was the fir- first time since obviously Connor Jennings scored the winner in a playoff final um, anytime we won a game you know I was buzzing for the boys and it just meant a lot more to me when others were scoring because I just wanted to win games at that point <clears throat> I think it was sort of I was the focal point at Tranmere to score all the goals, and I was scoring all the goals. So my role was obviously a little bit different. Assists and goals were obviously great, but you know, for me, it became about winning games. And the run we got on in the start of the season, any goal was just sort of brilliant. One thing I will say, you touched on it earlier when you said you went up to Chamber early doors. And you said, I'm going to come for you because I want to show a reaction or get a reaction from the young lads. And one of the big criticisms you get from fans was when you used to come on, run around like a madman, they'd say it was needless free kicks, booting people. But there was a method behind your madness. You weren't doing it because you were thick. You were doing it because you wanted to give a spark to the players, energy to the players. And I don't think fans actually, I don't think they actually realised that that was what you were trying to do. They just thought, oh, here he is, he's frustrated, he's just booting people. But no, it was trying to give everyone a lift or a reaction or a spark or even get the crowd. Sometimes it takes to someone getting booted for the crowd to get in, get stuck in. And would you agree with that? Yeah, I remember having this, this conversation with Cookie um, and I think I had it with Luke Warren as well. It was the Morecambe game at home, first, first game of the season. Obviously got bought on with 10 minutes to go with Maka. Um, and the game was dead. We were losing. There was nothing in the game. There wasn't, I didn't feel as though there was a mentality of we'll get back in this. So for me, I chased chased people down. I was aggressive. And I almost tried to cause something for our lads to run into to get their backs up. You know, I've been around a long time now. I know sort of I can read the game sat from the side, the mentality of teams and what might be needed because it's easy to go in with a lovely tappy, tippy-tappy football and we'll get a goal but I think that mentality changes when there's a little melee or they see someone up front putting himself about and running and having a go at people and you get your back up and you obviously want to prove that person wrong or prove the crowd wrong or I think fans struggle to see beyond what's on the pitch if that makes sense I think they love the tippy-tappy lovely stuff uh, for me, Morsey's great at it. Morsey does the, the horrible stuff that you can't see and then he'll get a red and he'll go, what, what he did was stupid or what he did was this. But he's getting reactions and trying to force the issue because I think we'd have lost that game easily. Um, we'd have just gone out with a whimper that first game of the season if thing hadn't happened, do you know what I mean? I think Vass was playing out from the back and it was five minutes to go, four minutes to go and just going like, well, we've got 80 yards to get 
to their goal now. There's 10 men behind the ball. They want us to play out. So I remember him dribbling out and shouting to hit me, screaming at him. And obviously he's pumped it long. I flicked it on and Maka scored. And then it, elation. But then everyone, when it doesn't work or when you don't get the equaliser or winner, it's going, he just come on and start booting people. He started to do this or he, he did this. I'm just going, there's so much more to football than what fans see. I think they're quite naive to the dark arts and the mentality of the game as such, I think. I don't know whether you agree with me, but um, yeah, those games got, the games got flat. There was no tempo. There was no sort of willingness to score. I think with 10 minutes to go, yeah, you can be a footballing team, but you need that plan B. You've got me and Maka, obviously got named the Bash Brothers. You lump it to us, we're going to win our headers, we're going to make it uncomfortable for defenders, and we're going to create something out of nothing. Because if we get body, bodies forward, we've got 30 yards to the goal, we'll pick up the seconds, and then we can go boom, 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 boom. I just think it's little things like that that fans are quite naive to when they either want you to play football or then you play football and they go, get it forward. And you go, and these, these are professional footballers we're playing against. They understand how to head the ball. Do you know what I mean? They're not car horses. You can't just boot it down the line and someone run down and score. Um, so the naivety for fans, and I'm not saying Ipswich fans in general, I think. I, I think it's a general thing. I think me going down the coach's role as well, you, you see all coaches think they have to have an identity and a style. And I 100% agree. But if you're Man City or you're the best in your league, you can have a style and you don't have to have a plan B, plan C, because plan A always works. But when you're a mid-table team, you have to have a plan B, a plan C and a plan D. But some people don't change it. I just can't believe how long it takes people to actually change a formation or try anything to get back into a game. So That's what I mean. I think the level as well um, that we were playing at, you see like the Gillinghams, things like that, people will bend and then they'll break. I think if you you put two big lumps on or whatever with 25 minutes to go and start start going long, they back off and back off and back off and suddenly you've got six men inside the box where, where lads are winning headers. Uh, championship, they probably had it away for 95 minutes. Not an issue, but I think recognising the level and the best way to do it is 20, 25 minutes of pure bombardment. I think, like you mentioned, the, the Wimbledon game, we knew we had to score. That was the thing. We just put them under so much pressure that they bent and then they broke with two minutes to go. I, I remember that. I, I looked at my son and I went, teams that get promoted score late goals like this. We are going up. Um, one of the things that, I, I don't know if you, you picked it up, K, KD, but the parallels between what Norza said and um, Mauricio Tarico, um, you know, that he, he did what he had to do to to, to win. How many, how many players are like that in a team? How, you know, if we're saying you've got, what, a talented four or five and the other five, six or seven are trying to... I remember, I know James is a bit younger than me and Mauricio in the eras that came before him, but we're still from that era where, and I always say this, so especially in youth football, is it about winning or is it about development? But winning is a massive part of development. So if you take Kids who come into our program, well, I say our program, Ipswich's program at 10, they don't get competitive football. They all have to have equal minutes. You have equal minutes all the way up until you get into the youth team. So even when you're under 16, your best players have to play 
the same amount of minutes as the worst players in that group. There's no competitions to, to there's no league, there's no end of season player of the year. So everything's just watered down. Your expected minutes, you don't have to fight for your positions. And it's just when we're talking about it's refreshing to hear Mauricio and Norse and these older players, is because winning was everything. Like even just the way society's going, like when I I'm a father, you're a father. We go to sports days, they're giving stand innovations to the kids who come last. And I get like, not everyone's athletically gifted, but when we were kids, it was about first. If, if I didn't come first, I'm sulking for the rest of the day. I want to cry and rip people's heads off. And it's just saying, it just seems for me that winning is taking a step back in academy football and it is filtering in today's game. Like, big thing we saying oh, our kids good enough to play and our manager's going to throw them in but then like you said if it is so watered down maybe they go well they don't want know what it is to play with the pressure and to win games of football because it's so easy in academy football so that's one of my big things about academy football is it's you, they've got to make it competitive and you have to earn your stripes and if you're not good enough to get in the 11 and you only get one minute at the end that's life. That's the hard, that's just gonna happen in the first team. You might not make the 18 man squad. So yeah. I hope you didn't cry too much after sports day. Um at the at the end of your, your first month, uh you won the PFA fans League One player of the, the month. Um and then I always judge people based upon my, my wife's radar. And suddenly my wife is mentioning James Norwood, and we're we're in the time where we've got the wrestling goal gifts, the rock is tweeting you and you're a participating guest enforcer. And quite a few fans have kind of got a view about that, that wrestling bit, but um, tell us how, how did you feel at that, that point? You must've been on cloud nine. Um, I felt all right. Just it, obviously coming off the season I was having, it felt normal to me to come in and score goals. So I didn't feel any different to, I didn't suddenly think, oh, I'm having a great month because I was expecting to score and I was expected to score. Um, so I was like, this is going exactly how I've drawn it out. You know, I'm on my way to 30. We're on our way to promotion and obviously along, alongside scoring goals and assists and obviously personal things come in. But at no point did I ever think I was happy with that. Um I just wanted to carry on. I wanted to carry on winning games. That that was my mentality of going, right, we're in a good position here. A few points clear. But I think we won every game or draw one and won every game. And For me, it was just about continuation of that form. Um, and then Shrewsbury at home struck. Mm. The, how many people did you tell that The Rock had tweeted you? Uh, I didn't think I need to. It blew up on Twitter. It was <laughs> Uh, that was a cool moment, I'll be honest, because um, I remember getting home and I remember seeing like the WWF had tweeted me and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, it blew up. WWE. That was WWF at the time. I was oh, it? okay. No, no, it weren't. It weren't. It's There's been a while. WWE and WWF though, isn't there? No, WWF and then the World, yeah, the World, World Life Foundation got involved. <laughs> and they yeah, got they were buzzing off it. 
Um, they got their back, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I think WWE England or something tweeted yeah. it, and then it went to the WWE, and then obviously the Rock seen it from there. Um, but then I started seeing like the center. I remember the uh, was it not the rock bottom people's elbow. Somebody did it the next week in the NFL, and I was like, starting to tr start these trends, um, and it's going all right. But yeah, the gold gifts were kind of cool. It just come off come off the the back really. I remember doing a terrible one, and then I thought, oh, do you know, I'm going to change it up. Um, ran to the dome the Friday before the uh, Peterborough game and smashed two beer cans together and then poured it in my mouth. I don't think anyone knew that was the day before the game. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, um, then that took off. And then I felt slightly under pressure to to start doing some gifts about wrestling. Like, I mean, I haven't been into wrestling since I was about 14. <laughs> I had to pretend I was. I was doing interviews and I was asking who my favourite wrestler is and that. And I was going... I don't even know any wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just had to keep saying that like, the rock. <laughs> um, how, was Paul, how was Paul Lambert with that though? So you've done your groin and you're now going into a wrestling event injured. Um, well, I did my groin a couple of weeks before, I think, two or three weeks before, and it asked me, can I get through to the international break um, to have my operation? And obviously you want to play every game and I think I filtered down my training days. I was on about five pills a day, painkillers and anti-inflams and whatever else. Um, and it was just a case of, we'll start you. If it goes, it goes, and you have to take you off. You obviously played MK, MK Dons, and it went. But the thing was, it would go, and then an hour, two hours, three hours later, the pain would go. It was at full sprints and changing direction sharply that, I would really feel it. So it wasn't like painful all the time and I can't move and I can't do things. But I never told Lambo about the um, the wrestling thing, no. I never, because it was well documented. Mm. So I figured someone would tell him or whatever. No one had said anything. And what I've learned over my life is if I don't say anything, no one can say no. <laughs> and deal with it after. And obviously I come off against MK and, I remember going to the to the wrestling event and and saying, "Listen, I've come off last night. My groin's not not great. I, I don't feel anything now, but I don't think it'll look great." And all I kept having in my head was, "This is for cancer research." Thingy. And he was like, "Well, you were doing a whole wrestling match." He goes, "Well, you guessed ref." Um, I was like, "Yeah, I can do that. That's fine." And then with about five minutes to go, he's gone. Can you rock bottom two people? And I was like. Oh, man, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> so we walked through what I was going to do and then, yeah, I had no issues because I just sort of jumped six inches in the air and slammed a couple of people down, uh, raised a lot of money for charity and then got called into the office the next day. <laughs> Took a bit of a battering. Mm. And then dropped to the bench for the game against Gillingham on, on Saturday. Was that a, a punishment because of that? Um... I don't think so. Uh, you'd have to ask him, but it didn't feel like a punishment at the time. Um, I think I was struggling on the Friday or the Thursday with the groin because I wasn't able to tra train four times a week like you'd normally would. Um, and then I can't remember. Yeah, we had the international break and I didn't get my operation. And Me and BY, the physio, were trying to manage it the best we could. <coughs> um, 
and I was playing on it week in, week out. And then you'd have to fast forward about six months to the, was it Wimbledon? Was it Wimbledon away? Um, I can't remember. We played Wimbledon away in December, January time. And I remember Chambo ripped my lucky boxers, which I'd had for three years. So I took myself into the showers to stop, stop myself punching him. <laughs> I went out to do the warm-up, wasn't interested in the game at all. My head had gone. I had Stuart walking around in the warm-up in the keeper with me in my ear, chatting to me, telling me, asking me what's wrong. And I just remember sort of being quite flippant with him because I just didn't want a part of it. Um, but when the game started, I gave my all, obviously. Um, that was that was me. You know, as soon as the whistle goes, I can focus and I remember getting dragged after 70 minutes because I think Jacko tried to play me in with a little round-the-corner flick and uh, didn't quite come off, but I'd have been through on goal and they're screaming at him to hold it and keep it and do whatever with it and I sort of shouted to him, don't worry about it at all. I said to them, he's trying to get me in on goal. It's going to happen, you know, if I get through, it's a goal. If he holds it, I'm offside. There's no up, back and through. <clears throat> I got subbed pretty sharpish after that and then the gaffer made me come in at half seven in the morning the next day for a for a bollocking um, and I remember going out to train and I was playing through so much pain it was ridiculous I couldn't run in the end and I was still putting myself available and uh, I finished the session and just walked into the physio and said I want my operation like I've been treated like treated like a prick basically for six months having he was having a guy saying I was a ghost of my former self it was almost like he forgot I had 40 tears in my groin and the minute I could step out I was doing my best with what I could do and I don't think he factored that in um so I just walked in and said what my operation and went over to Germany to have it and then Covid hit so I couldn't rehab properly you, you did <laughs> Is that one thing you wish you would have done after the Shrewsbury game is to get it sorted yeah. and then? Look, looking back, yeah, but obviously I think I was like seven in ten at the time. Mm. Um, I should have got it done, done and dusted and been out for a month, six weeks and, and, and probably picked up where I left off. Um, I, th I just think the whole dynamic of the whole the way we played changed. I remember having a discussion with Lambo about it and we started, we were quite direct. Remember when we, when we was what, eight points clear or whatever, it was 4-4-2, lump it, I'll win the flick on, Jack will run or whatever. And we'd be, two wingers would press their two fullbacks and like our fullbacks were gone to midfielders and it was real like high press, one what man for man. And then it changed to more football and then playing out and, me and Jacko would end up doing four centre-halves and a keeper while the others sat on the halfway line. Uh, and that's no disrespect to like, any of the boys. You know I mean, that's the way he was asked to play. Um, and I remember going into a meeting and he just said, Norse, we can't play that way in the championship. And I remember just going to him, we're not in the championship, we're in League One. That's, if you want to get rid of me in the champ because you're going direct, that's fine. I can swallow that. That'd be fine. But we need to get out of this league. He was just a little bit, I think, thinking a little bit too far ahead because we were doing so well. Um, and that we ended up having a little bit of a shouting match about that. But 
you know what I mean? I've got a lot of respect for the man and what he's done for the game and sort of tarnished my reputation with him and in the way he handled my injury in terms of accusing me of faking my injury, even though I'd had six scans. Um, he said, I remember leaving his office and he said, you best hope this scan shows something or you'll be with the 23s. But I'd had five scans at that point and the tears were getting worse. So that was nice fella, but me and him didn't end on the best of terms, but sent him a nice message and he sent me a lovely message back when, when he left. So I've got no hard feelings about that. Obviously I've got regrets, but no hard feelings. So I obviously had a lot of injuries in my career and I played with, I played with ripped hamstrings because I didn't want to come off before half time. So I'm playing for, I do my hamstring in 10 minutes and was playing for 35 minutes because I didn't want to, your West Ham faithful absolutely burn me off the pitch. <laughs> yeah, do you feel, do you feel in that situation that clubs should help players more? Because I always say this, once we go onto the football fit pitch, the fans don't, they think we're 100%. They judge you. And if the club knew about your grind, they could have easily have come out and said that you have got serious injury, but you're doing the best to help us. If you know what I mean, to kind of, so fans can say, oh, Nor's in his usual self. Or I just feel that once we step onto that line, we're judged wrongly or rightly. And it's a harsh business. Like you said, when, when all you're trying to do is the best for the football team, best for the football club, and you're getting absolutely pelted when you can hardly move. Like you said, you, you, you can't sprint. <laughs> You can do the jogging and the little bits, but your game is about running in behind and scoring goals, and you can't do that to your best of your ability. I just feel that clubs need to, even Paul Cook, well, especially Paul Cook, he was very, with regards to injuries in press conferences, he never mentioned anything about injuries. No. I mean, it's like, it's so guarded. And I, just, and I just think, do they do that because they're worried about teams knowing what they'll start you're going to know, everyone knows the team, don't you? You protect 99% of the team every week. I just feel that players need a little bit more help when they've got serious injuries. Because think, yeah, it's definitely a catch-22, in it? Like, you don't want to give away that people are injured or what people are struggling with. Because if people knew I was struggling with my groin, if I'm a centre-half, I'm going, I'm, I'm nudging him when he's stood there and giving him, giving him one on his left side or whatever. But, I think there comes a point, like, I remember at the end of the season having to come out and tell everyone I played at 40%. Um, and it's, you never want to be that guy as a player, do you know what I mean? Going, like, I'm yeah. so brave. Like, yeah, of course you don't. Yeah. Like, I think I'm partly old school, where it is if you are walking, you play. Um, I've seen lads, you know what I mean, with, like, a bit of a sore foot, and they're going, not sure about today. Like, I've come from the lower levels where them appearance fees, they matter. Like I've had one of my mates, I got concussed in the warm-up badly. And he went, I'm just going to come off after a minute so I get my appearance. Like it's that, it's that big, you know, when lads are cushy on contracts and stuff like that, it's easy to go, I'll leave it this week. Um, but I've always been of the mentality of if I can play and I feel like I can play, I'll play. I think Cookie played me against, it was Wimbledon away with Aaron Dryden up front. And he, he knew my 
groin, I think, had gone, or my hammy was not right. We lose 4 0. Yeah. yeah. So he's gone nose. All I want you to do is stand on the halfway line, 10 yards behind everyone. Aaron Dryanen is going to run everywhere for you and close everyone down, run the wing. I just need you to be in the box when the ball comes in. That half hour in, Nolo gets sent. Was it Nolo? No. Yeah. Was it Nolo? No, it was um, no, the, the kid we got on loan. Huh? Josh Harrop. Yeah. Josh Harrop got sent off and cookie screaming around for me to run around like a blue arse fly coming at half time and hammered me for not running around. Um, but obviously, you just don't say anything. Like, you're like, right, cool, I'll just sprint around. Um, so it's like that, you know what I mean? Managers soon get into like the emotional state of a game and forget they put you in just to stand in the box or they know you're injured. Like, I remember I collapsed. On the Monday, with a back spasm at home, I was laying on the floor for 45 minutes, crawled into my car like an army, army bloke. Uh, you know, KJ, you've done SAS for two weeks, didn't you? Um, <laughs> Make the two weeks. You had to come off with your rib. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll get to you in a minute, don't we? We'll <laughs> no, it must have been really sore. Sick um, after my first session I gave you. Remember that day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I lost track. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, oh, that's what I remember what I was saying. That was Portsmouth uh, away. Um, I collapsed on the Monday. Army crawled into training. Got oh, sent yeah. Back. I can remember that. Yeah, I can remember that. Came back in the Wednesday and I still, still spasming, but I could stand up. And little Alder physio pulled my leg and it happened again. And I had to fall off the bed and just lay on the floor for like 20 minutes. Um, just sort of like in just agony. Um, come in the next day and <laughs> Cookie's gone, can you play? Saturday. I went, boy, if it, yeah, like of course. And B-Wise looked at me like, you're an idiot. You said that, like, you are clearly not fit to play. B-Wise went out of meeting and Cookie just said, listen, trains today. If he collapses, he's off till Monday. If he doesn't, he's playing Saturday. I remember travelling that. I got through it, taped up like the Tin Man. Um, trained the Friday, travelled, played against Portsmouth. I couldn't really move my back at all. You know, it was like I had an ironing board down there because it was taped up so much. And ended up scoring. And me and BY sort of had loads of conversations over time and it was going, anytime you can walk, and say you're available, that's it. Um, you're going to play because you score. And that's why I probably had so many muscle, like hamstring injuries. Um, because the, I should have been out for two or three weeks, I was back in 10 days because the minute I could jog, that was me back in the team. Like if I'd have, if I'd have, I'm always going to put myself forward, you know what I mean? And it's not me trying to be a hero again, do you know what I mean? But I love playing football and I love playing in football matches. Um, if I'd have had a little bit more about myself, I could have said, listen, take the full three weeks, get back to full fitness, which I did with my, my original hamstring. Um, I was out for six weeks. I should have been out for eight. So I was always trying to beat the time to come back in. Do you remember that game when, obviously, Cookie came in towards the end of the season and I came up and observed and helped out a bit? 
and you were doing the warm up on the pitch and I was what and I even come up to you before the game and was like are you all right remember when you were so stiff I was like are you mad you can't even move in the warm up and you were like no I'll be all right I'll be all right <laughs> like I'm not so sure you will be all right <laughs> I don't know how to be any other way do you know what I mean I've had yeah. I've had a mate that's retired through doing that he's He's done his knees and he's done his calves and his thingy, whatever. He retired at 27 because he never knew how to not go 100%, chase around in training and would do his hamstring in the extra game that we all asked for. And he would storm 40 yards to chase down a keeper. Um, I think I learned how to manage myself a little bit better as time went on. Um, but I just needed to make sure that I was fully warm. And if I wasn't fully warm, I wasn't comfortable doing certain things within training. And that's when the, the new gaffer um, really helped me. So I think people were trying to sort of force upon certain players, certain ideals, and you have to do this. So we would do sprint training four minutes into... I remember having an argument with Rosie once um, because we did a short warm-up and then he wanted us to hit our max speed. And uh, I just said to him, I've come back from three hamstrings. Like, I am not comfortable after a little jog around the cone to then hit my max speed. And we had a bit of an argument. And from when Kieran came in, I spoke to him and, you know, things were sorted from then. I would do a pace that I was comfortable at um, until halfway through the session. I was sort of just like, I'm, I'm willing to come so far with people. Do you know what I mean? Sort of go, I'm happy to do the max speed at the end or halfway through. But knowing my body as a 31-year-old, I can't. You know, you're not 12 around the park where you can just sprint off. Um, so I had disagreements about certain things and knowing my body. And um, obviously, Kieran put a lot of faith in me. And, you know, it paid off because from from all, sort of the minute he came in, I was available and fit and played played every game near enough. Uh, November 2019, uh, you had a photo out with uh, Joey Barton. Uh, you posted it there. Um you would drop for the next game, yes or no, because of that? Uh, no, I'd, I was in London because I had an injection. Uh, that I think I posted it the Wednesday or the Thursday. And I remember Lambo telling me about it. Um, I'd gone down to London a couple of weeks before, or a week before, I think it was, um, for my groin um, with a scan and, and an injection. I had a PRP or something. I don't know what I had, but they were in London and I went and met them because obviously I know them from Liverpool and sort of a couple of mates and posted the picture because I just, you know, it shouldn't matter. And then I remember Lambo telling me a guy in a Chinese restaurant went up to him and said, have you seen Norwood with Joe Barton? He was like, no. And that's how it come about. But no, I wasn't dropped. It was, um, I had an injection into my groin. Um, <laughs> January 2020, um, we just got stuff 5-3 at Lincoln. And then um, most fans, including myself, was thinking, this must be the end. He gets awarded a, a five-year contract. I think you celebrate the contract by, by, by score. And what, what on earth did, did you as f uh, players think about that? Um, I think at this point, we're a little bit disillusioned with everything that was going on within, within the club, if I'm totally honest. I remember being sat and I won't name names, being sat on a coach and somebody's wife texts them, where are we moving to then? So I think that was the feeling within 
within the squad because things weren't going well for us. Um, things had got worse over time. Um, and then that happened and we weren't... You know, as players, you you cattle anyway. Um, you moved on your ships, you kept whatever it is. You just meet to people. Um, so for us, it was... We still have to do our job because if we want to continue playing football and playing for the club, and <clears throat> you have to try and perform. So regardless of what's going on within within the sort of situation, you still have to go out onto the football pitch on a Saturday or a Tuesday and do do what you're supposed to be good at. That whole that? that whole season was crazy because I remember. I think obviously when the season started up after COVID which was, I've never seen anything like that in football. I remember that Marcus Evans came down to the training ground and started to interview players yeah. about what is going wrong with the club, what do you think of the coaches, what do you think of the manager? And I remember speaking to not, and I'm going, what the, I've never, like, because at the end of the day, I always say it, players, it's the hardest thing to do is look at yourself in the mirror. You blame everyone else. So if you've got the owner of the football class club asking players what is the problem and you can talk open and honestly with no manager in the room. And I thought I could tell a difference with Paul Lambert. Like when you said about, when I'm talking about identity, he went a bit against his identity with playing 4-4-2 and going direct and he was like no we're playing my way it was like if I'm going down fighting I'm going to I'm going to lose my job my way yeah, and that was just the whole just from that whole pre-season I was like what is going on yeah well I remember speaking to a coach again I won't name names and I think they had a zoom meeting well first I'll tell you that bit after because it makes more sense but we mm. had a, a group meeting on the pitch and he pulled us all in at the end and went you boys are the worst Ipswich Town team that's ever been. Um, it's embarrassing. And things like that. And he goes, if you don't train well, you'll be with the 23s. If you're laughing in training, you'll be with the 23s. <clears throat> and he turned and just pointed at me. And if you wear slippers into training, you'll be with the 23s. And I just remember thinking, well, you got like a dress code here or something. Like, <laughs> I leave my house at 7.45 in the morning. Am I going to go and put a suit on or something? Like, what's wrong with slippers? I walk <laughs> four yards to my car and I walk 10 yards from my car to the training ground. Like, what do you want me to wear? Suit and boot, winkle pickers or something. Like, what's going on? And then I remember saying it to a certain coach and he said they had a Zoom meeting <laughs> in the summer and he'd mentioned to the gaffer that it was... They should have listened to us more. And he goes, it needs to be a happy... He was saying, they fucked up, not us. And uh, he was going, we need to listen to them, what they want. We need to put, keep them happy. And apparently he just replies, fuck that, we're doing things my way. And that was... Do you know what I mean? That was the how we went into that season on, on a really positive note. So in the summer of 2020, there were rumours that your former manager, Mickey Mellon, was interested in signing you. He was at, at Dundee United, and I think there were some rumours as well about Swindon Town. Was that just tabloid gossip, or was there anything in it? No, yeah, 100%. Uh, obviously, Mickey um, was on the phone. Um, 
just trying to sort budgets and things like that. And he obviously, he knows that I love him as a manager and loved playing for him. And um, yeah, I think he was asking about my plans and I was obviously headstrong in the fact that I wanted to play for Ipswich and just be the main man up, up top, really. Um, so things never really materialised. Um, so that's that's probably pretty much the long and short of it. Anything I, in it with the Swindon? Yeah, I think Swindon were interested. I think it was Richie Wellens in, in charge. Um, so I had options, but I, I believed in Ipswich and I thought we got it wrong and sort of could make amends that year. So September 2020, uh, you've got a sort of patchy start to the season, a couple of sub-appearances and stuff. And then in September, you're, you're sidelined with a hamstring injury that um, keeps you out for, for six weeks. Um, and during that time, the, the, the news broke that you, um, about your drink driving case. Yeah, yeah I remember um, <clears throat> we looked at the GPS from training and we were doing a crossing and finishing drill and the striker was running the channel and things like that and you've got high speed distances and whatever else has to be above us. So long and short of it, I won't bore you with it, but I did 128 metres of high speed in the first five minutes. And then once the session, the hour and a half session finished, I think the next closest was 125. Um, something in the top left of my hamstring with the tendon just popped and that was it. That was my real, really my first ever injury that I felt there and then I thought, shit, like this is the gunshot everyone talks about. Um, didn't realise how serious it sort of was because um, I just thought it was a hamstring. Everyone says when you do your hamstring, it's gunshot. But yeah, I got the tendon involved. I'm supposed to be out for eight weeks and set myself four to get back fit. Um, came back in five, I think, because I was cautious. And then, yeah, the, um, the drink driving, it was... Listen, I've, I'm obviously fighting the case because I believe that I've got one. You know, I would have hands up held... Held my hands up, sorry, um, if I'd have been out on the on the drink and having a party time. But this was obviously during lockdown. Um, I think it was around after Bristol Rovers away. So it wasn't like I was on the booze all day. And I remember me and I lived with Paul Mullen at the time. I think it was my birthday, around my birthday time. And we went into Aurora <clears throat> just because we were bored. We were supposed to um, go to London the next day. So we were like, well, we're not, we're not drinking. Um, so I drove, I had a pint, um, sat in there for a few hours I, mean, I ordered a second pipe but didn't finish it and so we'd been there two, three, four hours um, hopped in the car I know Moles has got a little one so he at no point did he ever say listen let's get a taxi or thought oh, people go for a Sunday lunch and have a pint and listen I'm not condoning it at all but I don't think there's a, a person on this planet that hasn't had one alcoholic beverage and an hour later jump in the car home um you know, I thought I was well under the legal limit. <clears throat> Drove 45 minutes home, um, obviously with no issues whatsoever. And just outside my house, I've got a big green that's a triangle and there are three police cars waiting on each point. I went past one, um, maybe a little bit too quickly for the road I was on. Um, I remember slowing right down because I didn't want to get done for them thinking I was speeding. Um, but about 20 yards from my house and 
<coughs> got pulled over. <coughs> um, and I think showed off about half a pint over the limit I was taking in. And some things happened within. Obviously, I can't, it's an ongoing case, so I can't talk about <coughs> what happened within the police and beforehand. And I believe that I've got a very good case and that a few things went wrong with certain things within the police that would have given the wrong reading and and things like that because I remember being out out 45 minutes later um, because you, I breathed under the, the legal limit and I was thinking from where it was to what it was under you know the time frames don't match up in terms of someone that should be over and under um, should have taken longer to come out of my system but yeah I found out from the police report then Ipswich Town fan had rang the police um, three times saying James Nord, Ipswich Town striker is getting in his car after drinking and he'd rang again to check if they'd sent police and then he rang again um, I don't know whether he was giving different names or there was James Nord, Ipswich Town player <coughs> has just left the bar and this was Covid so it was, I think it was midnight when everything shut um, so for me, it was a bit of a whirlwind because at no point did I ever feel that I was over the limit. I didn't feel drunk. I don't feel like I, I breathed over the legal limit um, within the, the police station. Um, and then sort of was told that I'd be supported <clears throat> and then when I was when I made people aware that I was going to appeal the, the case um, I got told to plead guilty because it won't look good at, for the club um, and obviously we're talking about my life here and I got told it would it's not going to look good for the club the press going to get on top of it and it's not a good look and I just sort of from then on, couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, the only person that really stuck by me was Leo Neal. Um, Leo Neal, I can't speak highly enough of. He, um, he would ask me how it was, how, how I'll, if it goes wrong, how will I deal with things? He came to the court cases. He made time to to come to those and sit there all day and chat to me throughout the, the case and how I was feeling and what he thought. And, you know, he sat away from the press and, looked reassuring me at times because obviously you're in there, you're in there alone and um, yeah he stuck by me and even when the first the first one came back guilty sort of like let's figure this out what's gonna happen do you need help with anything um so you know he, he's a really good man above anything else um and i appreciate good people more than i appreciate how good people are at their jobs obviously you know what i've mentioned names when you say you've felt left down are you talking about the old regime with Marcus or the new regime uh, for me it's for me yeah the new regime is is it's a tough one um, I had a really tough time with them and I think a couple of other people within the football club had had a really tough time with them um, obviously I can't go into too much detail and people can't see things from the outside People on the inside know it and 
you you obviously yourself have seen it being within the football club and people have moved on, people have left and listen, you can't listen, I could freely talk about it, but oh I don't think it's the right thing to do. Um I think everything will become clear at some point. Um I think fans will catch on to certain things and they'll see people in different lights and and you know there's enough evidence to sort of if you look at it subjectively to understand in which way the, the club's going. Good answer. Very good. Yeah, thank you. So in February 2021, uh, Paul Lambert was sacked um, and Paul Cook soon came in and had a reputation as being the, the demolition man. How, what did you feel about all of that, Is you, you know, that, that whole situation? I just think that was made into a much bigger thing than what it was. Um, if, a, if a whole squad's unsuccessful for a period of time, then things need to change. Um, obviously, the demolition man thing is just something that, that stuck, but wholesale changes is something that happens in football all the time. Um, if you're lucky enough to be one of the ones that hangs around, you've, you're given another opportunity to fit in with a new bunch of lads and, and try and make it work in a in a new system. Um, we lost a lot of players, but we gained a lot of players. You know, I was I was under contract and I knew that, so I knew after conversations with Cookie that I would more than likely be playing. Um, and he had a lot of faith in me and as a goal scorer and as a player, so. I got on with Cookie, you know, from minute one to to now. You know, I, I'm still on good terms with Cookie. I never had a problem with him working at football club. Um, lots been made of it, but me and him never fell out. Me and him would speak every day. We'd play pool together. He'd have private conversations with me about what was going on and help me understand the position I was in. Um, so I, I haven't got a bad word to say to about Cookie, you know, he had to he had to go in every morning so he could see you and say hello. It was really personable. You'd have to sort of go down, sign in, so he could ask you how you were and say hello and have a laugh. And obviously, the staff he brought in with him, you know, really, really good people, people, persons. That's the correct term. Um, you know, they're really fun to be around. Really, really good people. And you know, obviously, the way things were for them. It was never going to be successful. Um, Just going back to Cookie, because I class Cookie as a friend now, but you said you you love Cookie. You'd never had a problem with Cookie. If you would, I can remember, so he, he came out after one of the games, he did the press conference saying, basically, you've all gone. Then it was towards the last game of the season, remember when everyone had to come in and they were getting told, I think... <laughs> I think he even told Dobbs that Dobbs might not have a future. Dobbs deleted his whole Instagram account. It's just, it was absolute carnage. But I was saying, so you were obviously told you had a future at the club. But if you would have came back for that pre-season and you were in the group with Flynn Downs, Teddy Bishop, Caden Jackson, Brett McGavin, Miles Kenlock, would you still have a positive thing to say about... Paul Cook? I think so, yeah, because he could he he was good at separating the football and the 
the people. Mm. Um, he wouldn't treat them any differently as people, but he's got a job to do. Yeah. I remember, when, I remember when he come in and he um we had Ollie Hawkins who he had got rid of at Portsmouth, and in the first meeting he's just sort of gone Hawks, you know I love you, but you know. <laughs> he, just didn't, he just didn't suit yeah. his system and yeah. he was never ever going to fall out with people over stuff like that you know he let everyone pretty much everyone back in from the 23s so we never held people against it it was more of a case of I need to do my job and you've seen it a million times I've seen it thousands you know what I mean players that they need to get rid of try and make a little bit more unhappy to to want to leave but yeah. you know, we had a good set of pros here that worked hard i remember flynn flynn lost his head was we did the bleep test well they did the bleep test and he said that's that hilarious i'm dropping off at level four don't even care come in and he got to level 20 or something and he goes hey. well what it was noise was people kept running <laughs> and i had to beat them <laughs> little Cameron Humphreys and Bailey where you yeah, think he's not beating me so like even when the lads tried to go they couldn't not be professional and like that's the biggest thing I've taken away from it which is how professional like 99.9% of the lads were yeah. uh, <clears throat> finishing off 2020 2021 season uh you you were the captain um you scored in the the Fleetwood game which meant that you'd scored 10 consecutive uh or 10 plus goals in nine consecutive seasons or something like that so when you were going through the summer of 2021 did you have sort of you know positive outlook a manager that, that obviously likes you um you know we've got new owners that have come in we're getting you know a new chief executive we've got Andy Rolls you mentioned him as a director of performance how did, how did that all come to to set you off in the in the right foot for 2021 yeah well I remember having a chat with Cookie and he goes yeah you're my number one striker you're the best striker in the league you're gonna play up front in my system you're gonna score hat loads whatever and he goes the only thing is I need you would you be up for coming in three weeks before pre-season and I was like yeah because I'd had my injury problems that year and I remember him bringing me in not so much him the new head of performance wanted to do it um, so I remember rocking up on a Monday three weeks before the start of the season and didn't bring my boots with me bought my gym stuff because obviously I thought we'll be strengthening my hamstrings doing a few checks making sure so everything's aligned and working on that sort of core and I just went have you got boots no. I said, well, you're running. So I was like, okay. So they ran me for four straight days. Um, and I found out, obviously, when pre-season started, I did the first week of pre-season, three weeks before pre-season. And I remember sort of saying to the performance team, why have you done that? Right. It makes no sense to, to do and like I'll, I'll speak my mind, I'm a bit like Kieran. Um, I can look at things subjectively and I don't let emotions cloud my judgment, I don't feel. Um, I said, you'd be better off doing that the week before pre-season, couple of days at home, and I could have started pre-season. I said, but I'm not going to get the same intensity in drills at home for two weeks to start pre-season. And uh, 
I just don't think they could get their heads around it because I like I don't I can't really say too much, but they've got their own set of opinion and thoughts about themselves that I think they see as gospel. Uh, I'm not gonna throw people under the bus or anything, but and I could quite easily, you know, like things happen that I could say and I think people would be astonished, but came back for pre-season, I was fit, um, started pre-season, obviously I'd done all the drills already, so I knew what to expect, um, and then I got a phone call from, obviously Cookie said I'll be starting the season or whatever, um, got a phone call from my mate at Fleetwood saying I'm being circulated on deadline day, and uh like, what? He goes, yeah, your name's been emailed around by Ipswich. Um, uh, you're available for transfer. And I was like, all right, okay. So I'll just I'll bring you back. Rang, tried to ring Cookie, went through, didn't go through. Tried to ring Robbo, didn't go through. Got through to Franny and I said, I've been transferred. This is like, what the fuck's going on here? I'm supposed to start the first game of the season. He's like, no, I was like, try and get through. Cookie rang me a couple of minutes later and Norza had no idea. He was a genuinely had no idea that that had happened. He wasn't going in for a meeting now, I saw it. And that for me was the first sign of things to come. Um, you know, like whatever happened with the, the driving, whatever was said after the driving, that was already happening before the season had started. So I think people going, oh, it's the Americans, it's it's this, it's that. Like, we're changing our culture. You know, you fancy what they they get shown. Um, and I'm not I'm not a whiner, I'm not a bitcher. I'll just get on with things. Um, so that those those stones were set pretty early on of what to expect. Um Obviously, without going into too much detail, within the start of the season and team selections and everything, you know, Cookie had a tough time um, from minute one. Would Paul Cook have picked you if he was allowed, I guess? Um, I think so. I had various conversations with him um, throughout my whole time there. Um, I remember sort of getting a slight hamstring niggle when I was supposed at Newport and he was sort of going, Norge, you're playing Saturday. Um, how long do you want just to get the rust off? And then even throughout my time with the 23s, um, you know, we'd chat every day and, you know, the way it was portrayed to me was that he would like me available for selection. Um, now, I obviously don't know what's gone on or what is happening. Um, and I can't say too much obviously but the vibe I was getting was that he would have liked me to play like, I think he came to the Wigan game so, some, some fans are, are going to hear this and go the, the, the best thing you could you can say in a way Noz, because it's just your opinion or I can have an opinion about it a fan can name. the only two people who will know is Paul Cook and Mark Ashton that's they right. know one of the, they, they two know, and yeah, 
I can only pick up off what vibe. All, all, all everyone can do, fans, media, us here, you, Statman, we can have an opinion. Well, Mark Ashton said not to play Mark. Cookie's just using Mark Ashton. It, it could go round and round and round and round. But at the end of the day, them two are the only two who know what was said because... I mean, the truth... Just read behind the lines, Mark Ashton will say, well, when Cookie left, James played was involved in every single game. So it's not yeah. my fault. And then Cookie, we could say, you lie, you know, it's... it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the truth will never come Yeah, the truth's never going to come out. You'll give your kind of opinion and just... Because you're not trying to... This podcast is not to create a war or anything. It's just about your time and you've been very open and honest, but only them two people know the truth. Uh, of course. Um, I can only speak from what I feel. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing, you know, whether... <clears throat> whether Lambo knew that I fell out with him or not is, a, is another thing. You know, things like that, I can only speak from what I what I see and what I feel. Unless I've got a direct conversation with either party, I can't say for sure. And sorry, just to go back, because obviously Paul Lambert, you've obviously said he's left and Paul Cook's coming. I just want to go back because I think that we lost a real good coach in Matt Gill. Oh, yeah. Would you agree with that? Obviously, I've I've been on these podcasts and I've talked highly of Kira McKenna. Matt Gill was very, very good uh, as a coach, as a human being. Uh, he had a good connection with players. Do you believe that as well? Absolutely. It was a shame to see him leave. He was, he was the glue. Um, obviously, he was a bit younger. And you can see, obviously, he's gone in at Swansea and done well. I watched the little thing on Flynn where he's doing sort of set pieces and stuff. He understood the football mentality of the younger lads, say younger, like all of us who are still playing. His drills were set up. They were set up well. He was demanding of people and I think for the final three or four games of Lambo's tenure, Gilly took it all and I think we won all three. It was back to sort of Let's go back to basics and let's win these games with our quality over how we're going to beat them. <clears throat> and I think, what did we beat? Aki, Hull, um, Donny. Someone at home as well who had uh, the young Tottenham player when he was really young, Boz. Was Donny. it Flipford? Yeah. Oh, Donny, yeah. You were yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were winning games, didn't we? It doesn't surprise me that he's gone on to Swansea and they've done all right. And, you know, he's taken, like, Flynn's there now. And Flynn will probably speak highly of him again because he just knows a football environment. And he's young and he's hungry for success within the coaching game. Yeah. Who gave you the call? Was it Rosie? Was it the gaffer that you were coming to train with the 23s? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you want me to answer that one? <laughs> well, it was me. <laughs> I get all the crap jobs at the club. Oh, I can remember thinking, how do I approach this? Uh, um, yeah, you, you gave me the call and said, Noah's with us. And I was like, right, okay. And then you were good as gold. Like, obviously, I put my stuff on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, but I don't think people know the extent of it. Like, you've seen the football inside, you know, like, you're still young. Um and the best thing you said to me was, whatever you want to do, let me know in terms of if you need a day, 
of not doing anything because your head's gone. Don't risk anything by, by coming in and doing something stupid, which obviously I never would have done, but mm. it was there. And then when it comes to like runs and stuff like that, that, you know, I could take some running off or drop out of some running and I only did it, I think, a fraction of times and I should have done it that, that day when I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> what, happened, what happened when I gave me is 23s went and trained with the first team. Ah, what's his name? Big lanky striker. The Australian. For, for, oh, Tete. Tete, right, doesn't understand football and management. <laughs> he has come off from this training session. Bear in mind, we're warming the first team up for a game Saturday, so we're at 20%. He's gone, can I do some more? We didn't do enough running. This is the first time I've seen KD lose his editing. So he had opportunities to run around, whatever, ever. So that's the Friday. The very next, was it Saturday we did it? Saturday session. Yeah. yeah. I did not see a ball for the first 25 minutes. <laughs> like, I'm 31. These guys just get out of bed and sprint around. We did. We had the balls run off us. And then he played this near enough full pitch. I can remember it because it's the worst session I've ever done. <laughs> uh, near enough a full pitch and you had to follow your man round it and only you could tackle him so I remember getting someone who had let I was it Ross Crane or something he just ran <laughs> everywhere I think I ended up just booting people um, but like you had some fit lads there went into that then did another uh, attack the defence the game type thing where you could only tackle your man then something else and then races round the full pitch at a full sprint uh, every line and backs if you lost a game and I remember our team lost four games and I did not run once so <laughs> I had it gone uh, there was no way and yeah I missed half of the runs or the first section well the last two runs then I missed the three sets of runs because we lost three out of three and then we went into a game like three quarters of the pitch about four aside like, it was massive. I tried to play centre-half. <laughs> At some point in that game, my belly's just gone, fuck you. <laughs> I went off to the side of the goal and started throwing up. And I thought, I've been there about eight seconds, like, just getting it up. <laughs> One of the coaches came over and was like, no, are you actually all right? You've been there ages. <laughs> I could not. That's the worst I've ever felt in 13 years of football. I've never had a session like that ever. Oh, because Tete <laughs> don't feel as though we've done enough. <laughs> that is the day I should not have come in. And thinking <laughs> there, weren't he? Um, for his, he was watching the first session. What's that? Yeah, um, come to watch. Who? Titus was there. As well. come to watch. Titus came to watch the first session of us getting beasted and me being sick. Mm. So that's when we became mates. <laughs> No, yeah. but I generally at the time, what was good for for our young lads was that you held held them accountable. It's all right me saying it to them, but you've got a first team player and you were giving them, especially the centre half, you were te teaching them little tricks how they can get pinned, and I think they appreciated having you. And uh, I remember our first game against Watford; it, it was hilarious. So Paul Cook's come all the way to Watford to watch as well. And for 45 minutes, you had the biggest stinker ever. 
to play the game in three months. Yeah, exactly. And I had to try and play Watford under 23s. I didn't even have a trampoline on my foot. I don't know what it was. Rocket launcher. <laughs> Lads were giving it to me. Like In the end, I think, you know when you kick a ball about a five-year-old, you're like, dead tap it to them. That's what lads ended up doing to me, I think. And I was still giving it away. But it was just, it was awful. But, you know, I'd learned, I learned a lot more in the under-23s about coaching, say coaching or like helping people and lads. And I really got into it, I think, because it worked both ways for me. I needed them to be at a certain level if I was called upon for the first team. And if I helped raise standards along with KD and Brian, I would be able to stay at a level that I could come back into the first team. And I think they appreciated me trying to help them, you know, like I try and work with them forwards during games. I remember telling Tete to just stand in the six-yard box and stop making stupid runs, dropping deep. And I think he scored three in that next six aside mm. game or whatever. So I really enjoyed seeing that. some of the young lads and buzz it. I buzzed off what, three or four of them and they were class. Um, and I want to see them in the first team, really, you know. What was good as well is because we've always, because you've trained with our young lads, like I'm quite biased towards our young lads. And there's, I'm not going to name names with the lads and you're going, miles off it, miles off it, he's got no chance. But obviously there's a lot of talk of Tommy Hughes, Cameron and Tawanda have been with the first team. What are your thoughts on them three? Have they got a chance or? Yeah, like, you know, I'm brutally honest and, I don't know whether that's moved on now, but I turn around and go, oh, crap, crap, crap. They're not worth my time trying to help them. Mm. It would have taken time away from lads that, listen, it might sound harsh, but like you said about the participation medals and stuff like that, I'm not about, I'm not about that. If, I, if someone can't sing and I'm a singing teacher, I'm not going to try and help them to sing. No, it's not worth my time. Um, Husey, I think, is incredible. It just the way he manipulates the ball, the goals, his vision, the way he sees passes. And I think you ended up having a ban him being on my team, didn't you, in training? Or you or Brian, because me and him would just take the piss out of every other team. <laughs> like, it was embarrassing. Um, to Wanda, like, obviously, I've mentioned beforehand the one thing he's got to work on, which isn't anything to do with football. You know, he's... The way, again, he moves the ball and uses his body and sees things and does things that lads his age shouldn't do. Um, his confidence is sky high, obviously, because he scores all the time and <clears throat> believes he should be in the first team, I think, and probably right to be within the squad. Husey, the way Ipswich and McKenna set up, if he played in the 10, I don't think you'd be su surprised at all by how good he is. And obviously Cam Humphreys, I love him. I love Cam Humphreys. He is a joke. Honestly, I... Listen, that's why sometimes I'm... When I came out with that, that statement, sometimes I wish I didn't because it's very hard to say, I guarantee you this guy goes higher than Ipswich oh, Town. I remember training with him and obviously we didn't do a lot of shape type stuff because I weren't playing games for the under-23s originally. And... uh Cam played left back against Watford. That's because we obviously the left back was a problem for Cookie. So we we sold him that idea. We said, why don't you try left back? Because Bailey's playing and you might have more chance. And that day, weren't it? So, yeah, after the game, I found out he's a centre midfielder. <laughs> left. He ran a game from left back. 
I've never ever seen in my time alive on this planet a left back dictate a game. It was like having Pirlo in centre mid but playing left back, and he just the way he, I think he just got bored and ran past four players and scored. Like I remember being in the changing rooms beforehand, and that was the first game I was playing for the twenty threes. And I was talking to him, and I said like, "Listen, get to the bar, deliver." Like, I'm going to be in a box. <laughs> and he's like, what, 17, 18? He's gone, do you want it low and across the floor, around the back, or do you want me to hang it out back stick? <laughs> and I was like, well, I was just hoping for the ball to come in the box, mate. But, yeah, if you're about that, just whip it round. <laughs> like, and he was so confident in his ability to be able to put the ball on a sixpence. Mm. I think the goal I scored was started by him winning the ball back. Yeah. Um, he came in from left back and obviously recognised that one of the tens was picking up the ball, came and nicked it and cut the passes and ended up scoring. But his knowledge of the game, and he's just a great kid, his hunger to learn. I think the big thing for me and why I help people is the hunger to learn. Like I've had lads in the first team before and Mark McGuinness was asking me questions about what I want from him and what I think he could do better. And those lads I'll always give time to because they want to learn and you know, I'm an older head now and I think I can see certain things now which I wouldn't have seen five, six years ago. But Cam's hunger to learn for the game, how good he is already, his humbleness, um, kid astounds me. Uh, it's quite fitting as well that he gave you the assist for your last Lipswich stand goal as well. There, there you go. Like, you just sort of... Crazy. He knew... I, he comes inside, I make a reverse run. I think I told him once before and that was it. You see me shout for it, and there he goes, box it through, perfect weight. All I had to do was kick it in. Like, yeah, him and him and Husey for me, and see Twanda's a little bit younger. I think, I think Twanda should be in in training. I think Husey and, and Cam Humphreys are are real top players. Two other goals. Albi Army. I love Albi's attitude. I remember we were doing um. A drill when his number was called, you know, on a school games, and he had Morsey. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone has seen Morsey on a Saturday, he's twice as bad Monday to Friday. And he, they had each other's shirts like this, and Albie wouldn't give in. And I, I think he got gained a lot of respect from Morsey for that. And they had a real tussle, and it went on for a half hour, and Albie would not give in. You know, he's he's a lovely kid, and he wants to learn. You know, hopefully for those three, four, that it really, really does come to fruition for them, and you'll see start seeing them on telly. Mm -hmm. Good. Two other goals I want to speak to you about, and then a quick chat about Kieran McKenna, and then we'll go through as many of the the fans' questions as as we've got. Um, you scored famously away, came off the bench at Wigan in what I would say was a fantastic black away shirt. Um, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Shouldn't leave things on Clayford Road. That's what I'm going to say. Um, uh, how did that feel? Uh, I'd already called it. Like, obviously, KD had obviously wanted me for the Charlton game, which I was unavailable for, made unavailable for. Um, and then Wigan, I think he wanted me to start, but didn't um, come off at half-time. Just before half time, I think one of somebody, no, it was, yeah, as I was coming on, I don't like to wear my GPS because I figure I didn't do it at Tranmere. 
it wasn't about how far I ran, it was about how many goals I'm scoring and can I provide assists. I think for a striker, you can see if they're running. Um, if I if I run 4K in a game and score four goals, are you then going to tell me that I need to do more running? That's my outlet. Maybe a centre mid or full back, you want to see what they're covering. But I remember picking up my shirt and uh, somebody within the performance team said, put your GPS on. I went, nah, I'm going to score. Probably 10 minutes later or whatever it was, scored. Made quite a nice celebration for myself. That was pretty planned. Um, I knew exactly where certain people were. Um, and yeah, it was just straight back in. And obviously, like I said before about KD, like the training, the intensity of training, I didn't feel out of place at all, coming straight back into a first-team environment, into a first-team game. Um, and I think we, should, we could have gone on to win that. Just touching on the GPS, because I have to play devil's advocate. So fans are listening to this to go, well, why can't you just put, why do you have to be different? Why can't you just put your bloody GPS in? See, you're making it about James Norwood. This is why the club had to let you, you, and I, I totally get why you, you didn't, like you said. Uh, but they're saying, well, why are you not complying to the rules? You know, this, for, this for me, is, yeah. For me, the way I play, I'm backing into people. I get up, I land on my back. Part of it is, and we did try to move the GPS around the shirt originally. I don't want to become paralyzed because I'm wearing a GPS I don't want to wear. And it might sound ridiculous to people, but one, I, I, I come over the top of people's shoulders quite a lot and land on my back. And you can say what you want to say, but one, one accident for me, you could be saying I'm well over the top with that. And I may well be, but I'm also a very superstitious person. My we, noticed that, we noticed that with the boxer shorts that got ripped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, it starts for me on a Friday, at like straight after training. I'll, from that moment to, to kick off, I've got my routines of what I have to do and what I will do in order to be able to start a game feeling confident that I'll score. And I wore a GPS at Tranmere for a little bit. And then we played a semi-final of the playoffs. And I didn't put it on. And a fitness coach told me, but I said, it's not about how far I run today. It's about us winning this playoff semi-final. Scored, scored a 30-yard free kick. We won 4-2. Went, went through to final gaff. Just went, just leave him alone before the game. Just leave him. Whatever he wants to do. We then played the playoff final. I scored the winner with 10 men. Must have covered about 16 cakes. I was playing left mid. Went into the new season. Obviously, the fitness coach in the end. It's a laugh. Me and him are getting great now. Still, like, really good mates. He just laughs about it now because I went on to score 32. <laughs> um, I had my own way of doing things, obviously, because I'm my own person. But for me, it's a comfortable thing. It's like, I will wear a GPS Monday to Friday. Like, so if you need your data throughout the week and see how much training I'm doing, absolutely fine with it. But for those 90 minutes, I feel I get judged. You know, if I'd have come to Ipswich and ran 15k a game and haven't scored a goal, do you think I'd be leaving Ipswich as a goal scorer or a good player? No. I get judged on goals and I get judged on assists as a footballer, as a striker. And I think that's the only way you can judge me. People say... I've never had an issue of people saying I don't work hard when I'm on the pitch. So why do you need to be backed up with 
GPS. A lot of it has gone into technology. Oh, so we can give you a day off Monday if we feel like your load is too much. But it can work the polar opposite way and go, well, we feel like you've done loads Saturday, so you can't really play Tuesday. I think as a striker, I want to play. And then I go, if I'm really that tired, I will tell you. You won't tell them, though. <laughs> Obviously, you have to tell them, you're going to tell them. If I'm, if I'm four in four and I'm knackered, I'm playing the next game. Because exactly. I will find energy from somewhere through these goals. And when you're scoring, you don't get tired anyway. Um, but I've never, do you know what I mean? I'm used to 50-game seasons. I'm playing 50, 90 minutes. Mm. So for me, fatigue is a, is a normal thing that you feel. One of, one of the biggest bromances we've ever seen on, on Portman Road um, obviously, the, the club knew it was going to happen. They brought in 29,000 fans, fire going off, you know, when the players come out on the, on the pitch and, and, and you score. Um, and I bet you want to put your GPS on then when you kind of ran from the goal to the, to the halfway line to, to celebrate with, with Kieran. And I know that you've kind of said about that, but I'm really interested just to kind of know about what, what he did do for you without, without trying to make his head too big. But, you know, what what that moment meant for the for the two of you? I think that was a culmination of what we felt about each other. I think he wanted the best for me. He wanted me to succeed, and you know he helped me every step of the way with that in whatever aspect. You know he's been a top top player. He understands the emotional side of football. He understands the non emotional side of football, the ins and outs of football, the behind the scenes, whatever it is. And he knew my situation. And how I was feeling every single day, you know, we, we still speak and we used to speak every day, but he's pied me since I went to America. Because um. <laughs> I, I can't beat your fucking goal. <laughs> it's just, I, I swear to God, it's just the biggest myth. I, well, not myths, it's the big mystery is I'm a five handicapper. When I play against him, I'm like a 25 handicapper. He gets in my head. I don't know how. It's because usually, when I hit a golf ball, everyone's like 20 yards behind me. And then when I play him, I'm like 50 yards behind him. I'm going, what is going on here? Brian yeah. Klug oh. warned me about that. He went, Kieran, I'll try and get in your head. And I just went, he's messing with the wrong one here. <laughs> but that's why I think we get on, because I think we have a similar mentality of we both want to be winners. We get pissed off if we're losing. And if, if we lose, like, that's, that's it. Your day's ruined. You know, we're both, I think, mentally designed to win and we'll do whatever it takes to win you know like I'm, I won't say I wouldn't cheat I won't cheat in golf but I'll cheat every other sport to win he'll probably do but probably do golf as well I might have to cheat at golf to beat you <laughs> I won't see him dropping a ball out of his pocket <laughs> sitting in the trees but he's just stuffing them 10 yards so he can't cheat um, but yeah no I think I, I would say that from the first time we played golf together I think we we got on yeah, um, and there's not many times that sort of happens with people. So uh, my respect for him is obviously is obvious. Um, I think again, like I said, I I I talk about men more than their job role, and you know, KD is obviously like a great person, and that's why I got on with him. He looked after me, did whatever he needed to do, and then obviously we we, we hung out outside of football and became better. I'd say friends. Um, so what we I pick his brains about certain things this summer, and you know I value his opinion. Um, so for me, that that bit at the end was two middle fingers up to a lot of people, but it was also 
my way of thanking him for everything that he did for me for two and a half, three months. And it was just, for me, I always knew that moment was coming for him. So even the lowest of lows that you were the 23s and you think there was no way back. And again, it's just my opinion. I don't want people to take it personally. When we've got Macaulay, Bond and we've got Piggott, obviously Caden Jackson was out of favour then. I would have Norse as my number nine. And that's, again, that's not disrespect to them too because other managers might have them ahead. So I always had the belief that, listen, let's just keep your attention up because the first team are going to need you. And they did need him. And like you said, to score in that game against, well, I think the Wigan game was more a fuck you moment for you because you just come out of the cold and I think you were harping on to John McGrill on the bench. Any danger of bringing me on, I'll definitely score it. It's like this commentary going behind the bench. I can remember thinking he's got to come on. He come on and he scored. So yeah, it was just like all your hard work paid off. And it looked like when the new manager come in that you were only going to go from strength to strength. But we'll we'll get to it because one criticism. There's not many criticisms you could. I just didn't like that you kind of played in that false left position, which you'll probably talk on in more detail. I'd rather have seen you play as the main man up front, but it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. So another Kieran came in to uh, <laughs> as to, to work with you, Kieran McKenna. Um, appreciate that. Obviously, you know you haven't been with him too long, but just kind of wondered about. How the season finished out with him? Obviously, you, you scored in your last game. You ended the month, um, or you ended one month. I haven't put a, I haven't put a date down there, but you ended one month with it being the League One Fans Player of, of the Month. So you, you ended kind of on a on a high. And how how would you sum up the end of your your Ipswich career? I um I really enjoyed it. You know, I can't speak highly enough about the gaffer. I think a lot of people come in and they'll introduce themselves and get your name and stuff and. And you had a name to every face. Um, he'd watched, obviously, the, the two or three games that I played up front with Maka. And I remember him coming up to me in the dome and said, Norris, I've seen you play on the left for three. I, thought, I, haven't, I haven't done that for four or five years. And before that, I was playing left midfield when I was 21 to 25. So his knowledge and in, his in-depthness of players and how he could see them play um, was fine and I think I played off the left and scored against Wickham and I, I tried to work as hard as I could and I think that may have killed me a little bit because it, I sort of was trying to flitter in between being a centre forward being a left winger being a left 10 and I, I, I think I lost my way with the job role a little bit to be honest with you um so for me, like, that was obviously, I just wanted to play at this point. Um, all I cared about was playing as many games as possible and trying to stay in the team. And then training every day, the tempo, sort of everything about training, I really enjoyed. Um, trying to help the younger lads in training again, obviously taking up from the 23s. And Again, this is a similar situation with me and me and Husey was me and Morsey, I think, ended up getting banned from being on the same team because we just win everything. You know, his mentality is he has to win and mine was the same. And from head tennis to four-a-side tournaments, we would win. 
just driven that way. And I think I clicked with him immediately. Um, I can't speak highly enough about him and his professionalism and how he looks after lads. Um, I think we, we got we got close and you know, I really respect him as a person and as a player. So from minute one, I've, I've loved the gaffer. Um, I'll go into more detail about the end of the season if you want, unless you can ask another question. But um, Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I remember the gaffer calling me in February time, maybe February, March time and asking how I was because I wasn't playing and I just sort of told him, listen, you want your number nine to run in behind. That's all I've ever done. That's how I play. And he sort of wasn't sure. He said, I don't think you can do that. Just give me a chance. Give me a chance, coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just remember saying it to him and we had, a, we had a bounce game on the Monday and I thought I felt my hamstring. So I pulled out that. Scan came back fine, so I got fortunate. That's when the Oxford game was, I think. That Saturday and I was on the bench. He started me for the Plymouth game at home as the nine. And I just remember running in behind and getting in behind consistently throughout the game and looking for balls. And obviously set Morsey up with a little bit of movement and a little bit of strength and squaring it for him. And he came up to me in the changes and went, yeah, all right, yeah, that's you. And that was a that was a massive moment for me and my confidence is going, he has seen me now do what no one at Ipswich has seen me do for two and a half years because I've been utilised the wrong way. Yeah, I'm aggressive. Yeah, I like to win headers. But my main thing is looking for balls in behind. And um, at the end of the season meeting, uh, we were brutally honest with each other throughout. I said, just let me know when I'm released. You know, there's a bit of banter. He kept talking about coaching. And I was like, fucking hell, Gaff, I'm 31. I'm not 38 just yet. <laughs> we had a great, great relationship with each other where I could just sort of go, Gaff, am I released yet? All right. <laughs> no, no, see you Saturday. Um, and at the end of the season, he just sort of, he was full of praise for me, really. He said, if the playoff finals tomorrow, you'd be, you'd be starting. But like, he just sort of said, um, I've got to give you credit because anyone that they bought in, you've always ended up as the number one striker. And that's no disrespect to anybody, but that's how I've always wanted to be seen and tried to prove a point with that. And he ultimately said he was just undecided on me and he wished he'd seen me play down the middle earlier. So for me to take that away is, um, you know, if he'd have seen me from January, February playing down the middle, I'd probably still be at Ipswich. Um, he just said he needed to freshen things up with the strikers and I, you know, I totally respect it from where I was transfer deadline day before the season to then November to the end of the season, you know, I was thought of as the, the number nine. He really liked my attitude at training, my professionalism, um, everything to do with how I was around the place, you know, and, uh, you know, I can take a lot of confidence from that. And I think the hug he gave you as well was very telling as well at the end of the game when you scored. Yeah, yeah. So there's a picture <laughs> of me coming on, right, on my Instagram, and it looks like he's hugging me. Right, so everyone sort of said, oh, he's giving him like a good, yeah, good, I know, yeah. good hug. He was, he was whispering in my ear, tell them to stop tugging shirts, he's going to give a pen. <laughs> <laughs> Really? So, yeah, it's a great picture, but like, 
it almost looks like a goodbye, goodbye hug. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's the amounts of it. But yeah, you know, I think he made a beeline for me at the full time whistle. He was like, he was dead happy. I remember speaking to Martin Pert, and he said I'd be missed. And we spoke about coaching and potential coaching. And I remember speaking to Charlie, and Charlie was a little bit upset as well. Like he said he's going to really miss me, and you know, got a little bit emotional. But that's that relationship I formed with the three of them was massive for me. And um, football, I think, it's really got me thinking about my future in terms of what I want to do after football and how I'd want to be around a football club with people like that. Um, you know, I loved the environment that they created and I loved the way, especially for a striker, the way the gaffer wanted to play. He wants to attack. He wants you to take passes on. And, you know, whoever comes in at nine... Rips, which best score goals because I might come back and just get into the top forty all-time goal scorers. <laughs> you you were very close. Uh, I was willing you to score one more league goal because you would have scored the same league goals for for Rips, which is, as Marcus, Marcus Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, I don't know the stats. I tell you what, you do. I mean, I, I think you're. One goal every 180 minutes. I'll give you that. There was a little bit of wriggle room. I think it was probably about 183. But I think, you know, if you're rounding it down. But, yeah, that was good. You probably well, played with two months as a Rip Groin as well for most of them appearances. Rip Groin, pulled down the strings. And then three min that three minutes was probably at Fleetwood away when he brought me on to shout at people and didn't touch the ball. It, it always seems to me, from a fan's perspective, you know, we, with your injuries and the constant change that we appear to have during your career, that you were never really kind of given that mythical run where you could probably get seven or eight in ten. Yeah, I don't think... Um, listen, people form their opinions about me pretty early. As a, an alcoholic, overweight, sort of pub-goer who's unprofessional and eats shit and does this and goes out all the time. And like, I don't know whether KD saw it for two and a half months or a little bit longer maybe, but... Just it couldn't be further from the truth. Do you know what I mean? It's it frustrates the life out of me because I do I, like I try. Do you know what I mean? Like I've always been in good nick. I've always been strong. I've always been quick. And when one thing starts, you know, like picturing Prezzo like with Joey Sadler, I don't think I leave him out. Like, he, he he did say to apologise to you, so <laughs> yeah, like little things out. You know, like the thing I found with. These fans, and this is no disrespect to these fans or ever, because because ninety percent of them, do you know what I mean, are brilliant. But they they speak as though their opinion is fact, and that spreads like wildfire. Um, so when somebody says Norwood's overweight, Norwood's overweight, and that's the opinion of it, Norwood loves to pub. I don't go in pubs. Like if I'm going out, I'm going out. I'm not going to the pub on a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? I. Things like that frustrated me throughout my time. It never affected me. But there was times I've taken 10, 15 pictures of my body throughout Ipswich to send to, obviously, like my fitness guy. And I could show you every single one. Do you know what I mean? And the shape I was in. Like, I did it for a bit of banter when we was in Portugal, and that was after eight days on the drink. So I was a little bit bloated. <laughs> but, but my yeah. thing is... Again, one of the reasons why I would never go on social media, I say to Statman in the short time I've known him, why do you bite? Because I think people 
think that no, pro- you probably do it for banter, but you know you're going to get a response, and it like it just escalates. Why? I said we spoke to the Darren Bent as well. Darren Bent has to do it because of he needs social media for the platforms he's on. But yeah, I just you know for I, me, I'd spend half my time arguing and yeah. But that's uh, what I love about it because <laughs> these these fans think they just get a free hit, mm. and I've gone ten percent on these people back. Yeah, I tried to make it funny, but I could tear their life apart. You've seen me around the training grounds. Like, I can finish people and I, I could finish their careers. Um, I could do that to people, but I don't see how these guys can tweet what they tweet to someone as if it's a free hit. Because the minute I come back, yeah, you can say they get their 10 minutes of fame. Yeah, they get this. But if you come up to me in the street and swing for me, I'm knocking you out. And I had an argument with somebody within football club may or may not have been the guy that said it's bad image for the club. I said, what am I supposed to do if someone comes up to me and hits me? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to knock him out. I went, so you can't do it. <laughs> I went, what? I said, so let's get, this, let's get this straight. I'm sitting down somewhere. Someone punches me in the head. I'm supposed to do what? Sit there, take another dig, take another dig, end up on the floor get booted and something bad could happen. So it doesn't work like that. I said, if someone's willing to put stuff on the line and abuse me, best believe that I am much better at it than them. And I can end their life without question. But I don't because I'm, in, I'm a professional footballer. Mm. If I, I've got to be careful with what I say and try and make it humorous. Mm. Um, so for me, it's a case of going, what trolls won't stop until you can just come back. I don't think trolls won't stop unless the players are given the freedom to do something about it. You sort of, I, like, I'm not, it's not comparable at all, but you've seen like with the racist tweets, the lads are quote tweeting them and making them available for everyone to see. And I think if players were given the opportunity to say what they felt, you look at America, my biggest thing is America. Like after, after games in England, they're going, you could win four nil. I remember we beat Aldershot 3 0 in a playoff semi final over two legs, first leg. The game's done. We were so much better than them in general, not just on that day. But we have to come into the press and we have to say, you know, it's a whole another game. <laughs> like, you know, it's not over. Yeah, it's not this. It have to be cliched, yeah. It's it to be cliche as anything. And in America, like you see, what's uh, what's his name? Thing, and he just goes, "You're going to try him with a sorry retrieve receiver like Crabtree." <laughs> like he just tells his truth. Just can we absolutely abuse them? He's shit. He's shit. They haven't got a chance. And I'd love football to be like that. But all right, let's have a free for all on social media. Yeah, you're a role model, but why don't why doesn't your role model be how you play on a football field and how you take care of yourself? Why I see it standing up to bullies. You're teaching people that they should accept abuse, I feel, on social media. Why would I sit there and take abuse off people and then kids see it, me getting abused and me not saying anything? Me coming back at them is going, I'm standing up for myself. If you want to have the argument, come and see me. Or if you want to have the argument, let's do it over Twitter. Let's, let's, let's talk this out. Because I am a lot better at it than you. 
And that's my outlook. It's going to, if, if a young kid sees me not swearing, but having a go at someone and, and finishing them, he's going to go, right, well, he can't get bullied. That's the thing to do. It's a good way of looking at it. I've never looked. I might get a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't got it in you to wipe people out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Convincing them to try and c- come on there. Um, it's quite a nice segue. Uh, okay, so these are these are questions that we got on, on Twitter from from fans um i'm gonna read the uh the, the twitter name so if you want to go back and speak to them then, then you can um, <laughs> yeah. uh, this one's at vodka red bill uh serious question did james feel he'd lost the fans trust and respect with his off fi- off the field antics at such a big club that you can't act the fool uh I, if i'm brutally honest i'd take no notice um, you listen, you see it, but you see it through a window. Um, for me, it was only ever about what I did, and the people that see me day to day is the only opinions I care about. And it might sound big time, or it might sound anything like that. It's not I. I only value the opinion of people who see me every day in a in a working environment. I don't. No one knows anything about me from outside the football club. So you can have your opinion about me, but your opinion doesn't matter to me. So for me, I could be well-liked, I could be well not well thought of, whichever. It doesn't matter to me either way. I'm not going to take all the praise and not listen to that and take all that and not listen to the praise. People don't know me as a person. So for me, people's opinions of me do not matter. The next question is from F. PL Tractor um, and picking up on a point uh, building on to what you said but are there some players in the team that would get affected by these people making these online comments and oh, absolutely I think but you, you take it that any walk of life um, if someone comes in and abuses you at something like I always compare these, these tweets and these people at football games Somebody works in IT and I just stand behind them and scream at them every time they make a mistake on a keyboard, calling them shit, calling this. And people can say, he's a professional footballer, he's this, he's that, we're entitled, we pay our money to see it. I'll chuck a tenner into the, the secretary and I'll come in, follow you into work, stand behind you and scream at you for your entire work day. And every time you make a mistake, I'll tweet you calling you shit and I'll do this and I'll do that. I'd love to see how people would handle it because even the lads in football, if they can't handle it, they're 10 times stronger than the people that are working just in normal jobs, I feel. And that's my opinion. You have to be so thick-skinned just to deal with football in itself and the environment of football without fans. So to deal with fans on top of that, I just don't think a normal human understands a normal human. A normal person understands the, the rigours and the mental fortitude people need to be able to be in the sport for a sustained period of time. Yeah, but fans will come back and say, again, devil's advocate, but if I was getting millions of pounds and hundreds of hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, I could, I'll, I'll take a bit of abuse. Yeah, but they wouldn't. They can't. They physically and mentally cannot do it. I could guarantee it, if you put them in a football environment for a week, 
they'd cry. And that's, I'd put every penny I have on that. They were, it's mental. You can speak from years of mental torture. And that's what it is. People get to go home at five o'clock and you say, yeah, we work eight till five, nine till five. You get to go home, crack open a glass of wine, have a takeaway, sit with whoever. In football, you have to go home, kill time in a day, which is mental torture, and then eat healthily, rehydrate for the next day, take your protein, get up, do it again the next day, feel stiff every day. Then there's the pressures of winning a game. Then there's the pressures of preparing for a game. You're not playing, you are playing, you're out of the squad. Like 20,000 people abusing you. Take, you take the 20,000 away. You get injured. You suddenly can't do what you've been doing for 20 years. But Tristan Nydam, his whole career has just ended like that. Like, where do you go mentally? It's like, it's losing your leg. basically like losing both your legs. What do you do? That's 21 years of his life finished in a, a tackle. You live with that. You can move houses every three months, six months, years. I know lads that sign one-year deals and have moved eight times. And you can say, if I'm getting millions and thousands of pounds, that's, that's the top 1%. Like, people in League 1, League 2 conference, they're not earning retirement money. They are trying to earn as much money as they can. And in comparison to a normal salary, a teacher's salary, like a worker's salary, yeah, it's a good salary. But then you compare the top end of the Premier League, which is the best in the world, the CEOs of the best companies in the world, and they're on hundreds of millions. Do you know what I mean? Elon Musk is Lionel Messi within the business world. Are you going to start saying, Messi go, oh, I, could, I could build Teslas for billions of pounds? It's all relative. The top businessmen in the world are far richer than the top, like, top footballers on a salary. So for me, it's easy to say, yeah, they get paid X, Y, Z, but there's lads in the conference earning 250 quid a week, working two jobs, and they're playing football and fans are abusing them. Mm. It's all subjective and it's all relative to each other. So yeah. people say, like, yeah, play for Ipswich, do this. Lads, most of the lads, 99% of the lads won't retire. Do you know what I mean? They're playing for the love of the game because they've done it and they're quite handy at it. So let's have it at 35 when you ask me where the beans are in Tesco's. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's how it is. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think normal people could deal with, deal with it mentally. Also, you played, James, you played at a time uh, when social media was about, and obviously you, you didn't, KD, so um, that would be quite quite interesting to see because you really would have been in, in, in the in the spotlight there then. Um, a wrestling question from Daniel Hill, scrumpy Daniel. Um, if you could rock bottom any ITFC player, who would it be? <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be a player. Right, okay. Um, the person I would rock bottom, I probably couldn't get in the air. Are you going to miss your barber? Uh, is that Sam? Uh, yeah, Sa Samuel Perry. Perry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, I am, actually. I'm, is uh, he your barber, is he? He is, yeah. Shout out the doghouse in Needham Market. If anyone wants to trim, he's made me look like I've got hair. Um, <laughs> barber and a top bloke. Um I recommend him highly. I've seen him, yeah, two and a half years and he's, I've told him a lot of things that have never got out and, you know, I've got a lot of respect for the guy. 
Some of the names of the people on here. Uh, Kira McKenna's stepsister um, has, <laughs> has asked. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll bookmark that one and let you know. Um, can you agree not to score against us next season? I guess that's the view that you won't be in the championship or league two. Uh, yeah, I can't really say too much on that. To be no. that Fair enough. I do come up against Ipswich. I will, depending on I saw how they treated Will Keane. So oh. we'll see how how that goes, whether there's muted celebrations or... or so not. you're saying, depending on the fans' reaction to you, if they give you a round of applause and you score, you probably wouldn't celebrate, but if you've got dogs abuse, you're going to be going mental when you scored. Yeah, I think there's a respect level of clubs that you play for. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have that at Tranmere, I didn't celebrate. And then Forest Green, I didn't celebrate the first one, and then they started abusing me. And there's a great picture of me shushing the fans in a playoff semi-final, and Listen, you give as good as you get as far as I'm concerned. If I've got respect with someone, I'm not going to disrespect them. Listen, I've seen a lot of people go, goal's a goal. But I had three years at Ipswich that I really enjoyed. And if the reception's sort of mutual, listen, I, I, I can celebrate another 29 times if I get to 30. Do you know what I mean? By the way, I must be really liking you because I'm missing Love Island for this. <laughs> But I tell you, I got catfished by Luca's sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. Go on, reveal. <laughs> I think I was about 19, and this was, was it BBM days, WhatsApp, Facebook, or whatever, before all this came out. Started chatting to her for a couple of months, and then I was like, I'll come down, I'll take you out, etc., etc. Um, <laughs> she drove past me when I was in Eastbourne, I was supposed to take her out. And unless she ate the girl I was supposed to talk to, or I'd been talking to, well, it was, uh, I think she had about five teeth. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a shithouse, me. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, I know what you would have done. You'd have walked straight back inside and not done a thing. I went <laughs> on a three-hour date with this girl. Because <laughs> I can't upset people. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I hate upsetting people. So I was thinking, if I, how would I feel if I was in her situation and I turned up to meet a girl and she just walked off when she saw me so mm -hmm. yeah I ended up three hours and then ended up sitting in a car overlooking Eastbourne <laughs> I was trying to get home <laughs> and then her boyfriend uh, her brother's on Love Island yeah so but she's really successful now so credit to her good obviously you said that you went out to eat with her and that fits in with the next question from Romeo John and I don't uh, have much money then so I was panicking K KFC or McDonald's he said that's McDonald's all day. Um, it was rich realist. If you're able to go back to the start of your town career, is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah. Um, I would have got my operation straight away. And then I would have taken a little bit more. I don't think my hamstring would have gone. If I'd have taken, taken time and got the operation, I think the fact that I was out for six, seven months, um, unable to do much, put my body in a bad place in terms of muscle and everything else so I think if I got my operation I'd have been back in five or six weeks and you know the whole story might have been completely different What about your living room arrangements? Do you wish you moved a bit closer to Ipswich or did that never really bother it, you? It didn't it bothered me at the start the first few months but it did I love where I am you know what I mean I'm mm. in the middle of the field away from everybody um, yeah. I got so used to it that it helped that there were no houses available in Ipswich, really, yeah. that I could have moved into. Um, 
I love the peace and quiet. You know, it's it's hard for me to to be in and around. I lived in Liverpool, um, and without disrespect, Ipswich doesn't quite compare to to Liverpool. So for me to walk around town would have taken me no time at all, and that would have been my way of escaping things. Whereas here, I can walk around the fields. You know, I've got a good sofa with a nice telly, and that's me. I'm I'm happy a cup of tea sitting on the sofa and. Yeah, it took me 35 minutes to get home, but for me, it's absolutely perfect. Shefford Blue has said, I don't always ask you this question, but what is your favourite shithouse moment of all time? Uh, of all time is obviously my goal for Tranmere against Forest Green in the playoff semi-finals. I was getting dogs abuse and then volleyed one in. Um, I just walked up to them, shushing them. Um, and then I think I got Man of the Match live on Sky and they hung around to abuse me some more and I just sort of held up the Man of the Match and just went, see you later. Um, I've done a few, do you know what I mean? But the one at Ipswich, I think the one that stands out for most people is the Wimbledon game when they were time-wasting and Jacko scored and I limped from, from the goal to the halfway line and took off and nearly nicked the ball from kickoff at a full sprint. I think that's the one that sticks out in most people's minds. I, was, I love, if to people time-wasting, I love just doing it back. Uh, Ashley Bell, uh, I'll take part of this question. What do you consider your biggest achievement in your time at town? For me, it's the, it's the goal every 180 minutes. Um, I came to score goals, and I said this in, on my post, but I don't think anyone can take away from me. They can have their opinion about me as a player, as a professional, with my attitude, but no one can say I didn't come here and score goals. Um, so for me... The stats are a little bit, a bit skew if when you see how many games I played to goals. You know, for me as a striker, it's goals to games ratio. And that's all I've ever been worried about. So to score one in two for my three years here when I've had seven or eight injuries and attitude problems and being overweight. And listen, I've hit the top 50 all time Ipswich scorers. In, you have snuck in, that in at the end. Um, yeah. Luke, Luke Penning said, how, how was it scoring at Wembley? Uh, the first time I scored at Wembley was brilliant. That was a left foot volley from 18 yards. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't specific which one. <laughs> yeah, I looked like a goth um, with a big mullet when I was 18 uh, against France under 18s, I think. And then the one at Wembley was obviously a massive moment because I've been playing left midfield from from the first minute when we had a man sent off after 46 seconds or 48 seconds. Um yeah, it's a feeling like, unlike no other, especially in sort of pressure situations. You know, KD just played in friendlies and stuff where they don't really matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, to score a goal that meant something was obviously brilliant. But he has played at both Wembley, so... Yeah, played Wembley and New Wembley, yeah. Last game to ever be played at Wembley. Yeah. Germany, one yeah, His Kevin career Keegan. slightly outshines mine. Yeah, Kevin Keegan's I, resignation I game. Yeah, Keegan's re resignation game. Mad day. Absolute mad. But it's not my podcast. Don't want to talk about me. <laughs> That's his catchphrase. I have to cut it out every week. Yeah, um, really, he can't come back at me. <laughs> uh, I really apologize, apologies if I've said this person's name wrong. Sindre Eliasson um, said, how underestimated or undervalued as a footballer does he think Luke Chambers is? Oh, man. oh, you better be careful what you say with that. Listen, he's 
people he was 33 i think when i first joined and he moved like a 28 year old like his attitude in training i don't think he, he played that season at right back i think in the final year and he's a center half um He's by far the hardest defender I've played against in training at Ipswich. He read the game so well and he just, he's a lot quicker than you think he is. He's strong, he's aggressive. Um, I loved him as a centre-half and I'd have him in in my team if I was to pick one at the end of my career as it stands. Mm. Which teammate was the longest in the shower? Uh, I don't know, I spent most of my time with the 23s and I wasn't able to shower with them. Um, <laughs> and then the other half of the season I was staying in to do extras in the gym because I was overweight apparently um, <laughs> I don't know it's a strange one because you'd think Connor Chaplin just because of proportions um, <laughs> but no. then then you, if you put Thomas Holies on someone else it would probably hit, hit their ankle because <laughs> he's six foot nine you can't see well that, that was from Ian Wallbank um, so he'll be, he'll be pleased with that uh KB, Kieran has said, um, Moretti or Madri? Uh, Moretti. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joey Sadler, have you forgiven him yet for Prezzo Gate? No, he hasn't bought me a Prezzo yet. There we go. Um, uh, James mentioned about Paul Cook. We've answered that. Um, Dominic Dean mentioned about anything that you've done differently. Uh, best player you played with during your time at Ipswich? That's easy. I can tell him, I can tell you that already. Cameron Humphreys. No, Flynn Downs. Special player. And soon to be in the in the, in the Premier League. I haven't heard anything. But also, mm. special mention to Shawnee and Luca. Mm. The way, like, uh, Shawnee made you realise there was levels to this game. Um, but Flynn as an all-round player with the potential that he's got, I can't see him. <sighs> If he doesn't wear an England shirt at some point, I'll be surprised. Um, Francis Britton uh, talks about, oh, we mentioned about demolition bit. Uh, uh, run the fat boy run. That's their Twitter name, not you. Um, has said completely <laughs> non-football related, but who was the best and worst golfers from his teammates at town? Uh, Gui <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Anyone follows me on social media and sees me playing golf, I the thing with Gui, he could play really well, but the minute I get the camera out, it's it's curtains for him. And uh, we was away in, I think South Carolina this summer, and he <laughs> no, it was here. He finally lost his head. We played at Offord um, the day after we got back from holiday. And he, he was on the first tee and he actually hit it three yards, but straight right. So he's level with with himself. And I've got it on camera and I've never posted it because he said, if you post that anywhere, I'll punch you. Like, that's it. I'm done. Like, he fully lost it. Um, delete it now, everything. So he goes to bits, but he's, he's not bad. Judge, he should be the worst because he'll aim out there to go there. But he come in with 48 points. Um... Do you know what? I don't... Oh, yeah, I do know. Kane Vincent Young. Was trying to... He took golf up. And I tried to help him. Now, him and... Tristan's got a little bit better, but my, my round with Kane, I think we got through nine in about four and a half hours. So Kane, I, like, I love him to bits, but he just needs... To, he, he, it's not for him. Uh... Saying that, 
I have seen some awful rattles from the man that's in this podcast. <laughs> he knew it was coming because he gets the shanks when he's oh, with me. Oh, God. Like, playing off five. He was, I, sometimes I had to be a calming influence because he wants to walk in after nine. You do start to feel pity for me, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I start being really quiet because I've been, listen, I've been there before when you're having a round like that, but consistently having rounds like that, I think it's like for the Sandy Cup. So the, the last question is, you, you spoke about it, and I, I read your your first interview when you joined the club. You said that, you know, it was a premiership club, you wanted to take it to the Premier League, you've got premiership facilities and all those sorts of things. And is there any difference in your perception of the club that you joined in 2019 to the one that you're, you're leaving in 2022? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a change, um, 100%. Obviously, we've had a takeover. There's new people in charge running the club and people appointed that obviously a lot of them have been at Bristol City. Um, and I don't really know how to answer it in terms of are my perceptions different to the Premier League? It's in a position now. Um, has potential with the new owners certainly with, with the budget that's behind the club. Um, time will tell. Um, time will tell. So anyway, that's the, that's the last of the, the questions. You'll be pleased to know. Norz, um, before we wrap up, anything that you'd like, any, any thoughts or comments that you've got, KD? Yeah, obviously you spoke really highly of the manager. Uh, probably well known out there that we've probably got one of the biggest budgets in the league. Do you feel that Ipswich are going to get promoted? Time will tell. Mm. Um, you know, we saw it in, in spits and spats last year that if, if they get it right, I don't think many teams can stop them. Um if they're consistent in getting it right, obviously the manager's going to get his claws in from the start. You know, they've got a real shot. Um, they're obviously going to need their big players to turn up season long. Um, so I, I don't really know. Obviously, I, lo I, I love all the boys there and I hope they do really well. Um, if they can find the consistency, whether it's showed Gillingham away and first 15 minutes away at Shrewsbury and things like that, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, I, I do really wish them all the best and hope that they're successful. But, you know, it's 46 games to go and, you know, there'll be a lot of teams in this league trying to stop them. Fair point. Good. Yeah. Well, thanks ever so much, Norz. Um, Like I said, 88 appearances and 28 goals. Uh, a goal every 180 minutes, um, which is probably, you probably would have scored three goals in the time that we've, we've been recording this. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much for your time and going through the questions and, and you know, certainly thanks for your, your time at, at Ipswich. I think you were probably a little bit Marmite to some people, but if that was the case, then um, I like Marmite. So thanks very much for coming on the show. Cheers, thank you. I can't stand Marmite, to be honest. <laughs>